Hello, and welcome to the Bigger Truth in Tech podcast. I'm Scott Sinclair, your host, and I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, Mark Peters. And today we're going to talk about an article that's really been taking the IT industry by storm, both from on-premises providers as well as cloud providers. And that is the, the Andreessen Horowitz article. It's titled, The Cost of Cloud, A Trillion Dollar Paradox. Mark, let's get right into it. I, I invite you on because mainly I wanted to talk about it, but I'm always interested in your thoughts as well. What do you think of the article? Let's, let's start talking about what it's about. What the article is about and what the furore around it has been, in many respects, are two different things. Now, I know we'll talk about that as we go, but basically what the article says is, look, it specifically focuses on SaaS companies, although it does broaden out beyond that, but it, it really builds its thesis around SaaS companies. And the concept that it's basically putting forward, the construct it's putting forward is, look, of course, you're going to start as a SaaS company by using the cloud. But if you stay there for too long, A, it may not be the optimum thing to do. And very specifically, the extra costs that you spend to run an ever-growing public cloud investment, which obviously, you know, for SaaS companies is their business, that the more you do that, the more you spend, it eats into not just increasing your uh, cost of goods sold, uh, therefore cost of revenue, that impacts your profit margin, which in turn impacts your capitalization. So netting all that out is for SaaS companies, particularly they put forward the idea that, look, if you get too big with the cloud, then you are going to diminish your capitalization, which is clearly a very interesting way of looking at it. I do wanna read just a couple of things, if I may, to give you an idea of what this is really about. And don't worry, I'm not gonna read the whole article, but you know, it's, it's becoming evident that while cloud clearly delivers on its promise early on in a company's journey, the pressure it puts on margins can start to outweigh the benefits as a company scales and growth slows. Because this shift happens later in a company's life, it's difficult to reverse as a result of years of development focused on new features and not infrastructure optimization. That's the long quote, couple of others. The excess cost of cloud weighs heavily on market cap by driving lower profit margins. But here's you know, something I wanted to mention because it's really important as we get into discussion. The point of this post isn't to argue for repatriation. They give numbers for what that sort of impact on capital, uh, on market value might be. They guesstimate $100 billion for the top 50 SaaS companies um, and so on and so forth. The, 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 the word paradox in the title sort of gives the clue as to what they're really saying. Look, this is a difficult thing to get away from. Um, you might not want to get away from it. And so essentially it has generated a whole discussion where the debate is about bigger topics than the thesis that's actually put forward. The debate surrounding it has become very black and white, whereas the article was somewhat gray. And it's fascinating because as with everything else to do with cloud right now, it becomes entirely religious. And, and what I liked was, you know, you touched on the part of the title, the paradox, and I think where the rest of the industry is focusing is the trillion dollar piece of it, right? Because there is so much money tied into this. And in the article, they talk a lot about Dropbox and, and Dropbox's repatriation, and then extrapolate that out to, I, I think they look at 50 software companies. And I think that was key, is this is looking at software companies, software as a service companies and really looking at cost of cloud in terms of how it impacts that gross margin value. Because you know, from, from their perspective, what they care about is valuation and gross margin percentage plays a massive role in what your valuation really is. And to me, the takeaway was, was really a practical and you know, pragmatic approach to taking a hard look at what your costs are and trying to optimize them. And you know, I, I almost 
you know, jumped in and when you were talking and said, how dare you be logical? The goal of this is to just create noise and, and yell, this is cloud versus on-prem. But I think what they're really doing here is they're, they're making a practical approach in terms of how you make a decision. I mean, it's a very well-constructed article. There's no doubt about that. Um, but there is a point, for example, it, and this is cherry-picking a, a sentence. It basically says at one point, you're crazy if you don't start in the cloud. You're crazy if you stay on it. Now, I can see how people have picked up on things like that and, and turned the discussion to be extremely broad, extremely religious. The point is that sentence is actually in context talking again about the specific companies that they've analyzed and the specific situations that they've extrapolated from. So it's, it's, it's just fascinating though, because so much when it comes to cloud is you were either pro-cloud or anti-cloud. And this is really strange in a business whose probably second favorite word after cloud is hybrid. And so to see so much, I don't know, certainty on each side of this debate, even assuming there are sides and even assuming it should be a debate, which I wonder, coming back to the whole paradox thing, but it's, it's just fascinating. It's, it's, as I say, it's engendered a much more visceral and you know, two sides discussion than I think was intended by the paper. Maybe, I'm sure they love all the attention they're getting. You know, it's almost like in the IT media community, we've got a whole bunch of hot take artists that have focused on just that quote. And that's, that's what they're pulling out, which is that, you're crazy if you don't start in the cloud, you're crazy if you stay on it without actually taking in the full context. And you know, my next question was gonna be, do you agree with what uh, Anderson Horwitz is doing here? But I don't know if there really is much to agree or disagree with. I think that's a really interesting question. I found their argument compelling, but again, I can only repeat, I think their essential argument was, look, if you're a SaaS company, you're going to start in the cloud. And if you get too big without pragmatically reconsidering what you're doing and why, then you could end up spending more money than you need. And it might be better to bring that back in on-premises to some degree. That doesn't seem a very threatening argument to me. Everyone should be pragmatic. Look, there was something that occurred to me, it's worth saying, which may as with a lot of these discussions about the cloud, sound banal in the extreme. It isn't about clouds versus data centers. Clouds are data centers. I mean, that's, you know, whether they're one or many, they are data centers. And the only difference is in one case, you own it. And in the other case, someone else owns it and you decide to pay to use it. And so to come back to your question, I don't think there's anything to disagree with. Everyone's taking it at more than face value. I'm giving you my answer based on what the article actually said. It makes perfect sense and it suggests that people should be pragmatic. And if they're not pragmatic and they're dogmatic, they risk spending too much money um, on someone else doing something that they might be better doing for themselves. And let's face it, we haven't said this specifically. If you're a SaaS company, more than perhaps anyone else, IT is your business. So of course, what you spend on that is going to have a massive impact on everything else. I'm not saying that their thesis doesn't apply to other organizations, but presumably less. It's logical that it's less because for many other businesses, their core competency, their actual business is, I don't know, running stores, making cars, whatever. You know, when I read this, my, the analogy that popped in my head was if I was going to make a product, you know, like a, a new toy or a new widget or something, something that required a manufacturing one, right? The first thing I'm going to do if I'm a startup is I'm not going to go out and build my own manufacturing line and facility and factories and everything else. I'm going to hire a third party to do that because I'm going to focus on design, focus on building my market, focus on my customers, everything else. 
But once I hit to where I, I hit a certain scale, anyone would start to look and say, okay, how do I optimize? How do I leverage economies of scale? And for a software company or, or software as a service company, the data center is that manufacturing facility. It is the means of production, right? Uh -huh. So when you get to that level of scalability, there's a question of, with if you're leveraging public cloud services, can you truly achieve any economies of scale? Now, I, I'm sure Amazon will, or one of the major cloud providers will let you get a little lower costs as you get fairly bigger, but I, I don't think the true economies of scale can actually achieve, and I think that's what Andreessen Horowitz is talking about. What happens at, you know, when you get to a massive size, for example, what Dropbox was. I think they they show that when Dropbox repatriated, their gross margins, uh, per, their gross margin percentage, excuse me, actually doubled. It went from thirty three percent to sixty seven percent. Now, of course, mileage may vary, but you know that is that's the same thing as if you're building a factory line, in my opinion, and and getting those economies of scale. But those two words are key. I mean, the, the core competency and the margins. I mean, one of the, in, well, I thought about saying this and then I thought I should really say a bit more about the article before I got into it. But at the end of the day, what the article is saying is beware passing your business margins to someone else. That's really what it nets out at. Um, and then talks about the impact of those. And if you think about it, of course, it makes complete sense. As you scale, so you know the fixed costs and the, the even all the costs of running IT are going to be spread over you know a, a greater amount. Of course, it costs to run your own IT. It costs to run and use someone else's IT. But by definition, you know, AWS, Microsoft, Google, whomever—they're all for-profit businesses. So there's a margin on top of that. So you don't want to give away your potential margin to them most of the time or too much you might be very happy to do it some of the time because you've decided it's not a core competency you know if you want to use a more it term it's not a critical business critical workload um, and maybe you want it there maybe it is a business critical workload but it's just not big enough for you to bring on site or you don't have the the skills or the physical security whatever else it may be there's a host of reasons to do things using cloud there's a host of reasons that you might want to do things on premises and all this article i i think ultimately is saying is don't just willy-nilly stay with, you know, one way of doing things or one religion, if you like. Think about it. Is the data center that Andreessen Horowitz is talking uh, software providers repatriate back to the same data center that people think about when they think about the traditional enterprise? Because I don't think it is. No, the odds are it probably isn't. The, the cloud of today isn't the same as the cloud of five or 10 years ago. So the expectation that on-premises is gonna be the same as it was five or 10 years ago is plainly wrong. And what do I mean by that? There are improvements in technology, there are improvements in systems. There is an understanding, which although this sounds sort of um, counterintuitive to what you're talking about, it's not really. There is an understanding that hybrid is a smart way to do things. And that applies whichever side you're starting from, going to or mixing. Everyone realized what was good about the cloud. You, you don't pay for more than what you actually use. You pay by the slice, by consumption in some form or format, and it's exceptionally flexible. When cloud first came out, the, the reason to go there was supposedly it was inexpensive, uh, but you might want to worry about the security. I would argue that's totally flipped in the last few years. Security in cloud's pretty good. There's no reason it shouldn't be. That's what they do for a living. Um, but the costs can mount up because again, you're paying someone else's margins. 
which is not an argument against cloud, it's an argument to use it judiciously, as, as I keep saying. Um, but to your point, no one's going to argue against flexibility and just, you know, responsiveness and, and paying for what you use and, and no more. Um, and so, since people rush to the cloud or have been rushing over the last few years, meantime, the on-premises, not just the vendors, but everyone in that ecosystem has been rushing just as fast to embrace those capabilities on-premises. So no, of course, the, the on-premise that you go back to is not going to be the same because increasingly it's going to represent some of those key attributes now that the laws of physics have moved along um, that you can get by going to the cloud. The way I think about it is, and this comes down to a lot of the conversations I have, is just how incredibly difficult it's become, especially given the, the state of modern IT, to optimize the infrastructure for the actual application environment. Because the application environments are so diverse, they're growing at different rates and all these other things. Yes, chances are, if you have a very, very smart on-premises IT team, you can design an architecture that is more efficient and more capable than probably what public cloud services can do. That being said, there's probably a, a law of diminishing returns in terms of how much you can do that. If I shift gears and think about, go back to that manufacturing analogy, right? With, with software as a service. There, if I'm, for example, if I'm Dropbox, or if I'm, I'm going to throw out, you know, just other big names like Netflix, for example, I have a certain use case where it's, it's a very common use case. I can optimize infrastructure for that use case. And in theory, you could become an expert on your specific workload and build some, an infrastructure that is optimized to that workload more efficient than what could be done in a traditional data center or even, and, and definitely in the cloud. And I think that's where organizations might be able to hit these more efficient means of production, therefore lower cost of goods. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a huge chunk of it. So when you think about, okay, if I'm, if I'm one of these major software as a service providers and I'm thinking about bringing that workload back into my own data centers, I'm maybe not using what organizations might find in a traditional enterprise data center. I'm probably going out understanding my workload and working with some of the major providers to tune the infrastructure to exactly what my hardware needs. When the IT business first got going, this is three I's, I like alliteration as you know, everything was about innovation, literally of the technology. We were waiting for the next turn. Could we get, you know, 600 meg on a disk drive rather than 300 meg or whatever it was. Then we spent years as, as we got advanced, I, I, moving from innovation to integration. And integration was making it all work together, you know, op optimizing limited resources. And, you know, I've heard people talk now about being in the, the post-performance world, you know, the post-capacity world. We can really get a lot of what we need um, to run all this stuff. Um, and, you know, we have sophisticated DevOps tools that allow very fast turns on application development and so on. The third eye, though, which is where I think we are right now, is impact. So we're going to go from innovation to integration to impact. If you are doing IT optimally, then you are focused on the impact that it has, both on the, if you like, the internal measurements of what it costs to run IT and where's the best place to run it, um, efficiency, effectiveness, and so on, and more likely the impact of IT on and for the business. The challenge with a lot of this discussion we've had, and you've just begun to shift us to where I think it should be, is there's still a tendency to focus on shiny objects, which is very much to do with 
innovation and integration rather than shiny outcomes, more alliteration for you, um, because it's the outcomes that matter. The article is a cry to focus on outcomes and then just figure out the best way to do it. And as those words come out of my mouth, I'm thinking, really? You've taken 20 minutes to tell people to think about what they're doing and then do it in the best way possible? But yeah, that's really what this is about, it really is. You know, it's, it's funny you say that because I was thinking about, you know, one of the things, a couple articles have come out, you know, people posted blogs, obviously, in support of this, uh, predominantly from on-premises providers. Some people have, have come out with articles that argue against it or argue what they against what they think it means, uh, which, which I find funny because when I read the actual advice that they have at the end, you can't argue with this. And I, I'm looking at my notes here, it talks about looking at your infrastructure spend should be one of the top metrics and a key performance indicator for your for your business in these software things because absolutely it impacts your gross margin and gross margin impacts your valuation. So absolutely. Optimize. No one's going to argue with that. You can't argue with, you know, if, if something is plays a key role in your valuation, you should work to optimize that. And then the last couple, I'm consolidating them, is was really just think about repatriation. And if you do, you know, or think about where it should be. And if you do plan under the, you know, always plan based on the, on the premise that it might be off premises or on premises. You, you don't know where it's going to be. So give yourself flexibility. And if you do need to move, moves uh, in small chunks in small measurable chunks. I mean, all these, all these are, are pragmatic uh, as, as we've been talking about a piece of advice, but I, I do want to get to, because I think this is key is going back to that cloud versus on-premises debate, because I don't think this actually changes the debate. It just says, think about what you're doing and make sure you're optimizing based on your needs. But how do you think this changes or, or doesn't change the overall cloud versus on-premises debate that tends to be going on? It really shouldn't, other than reminding people to have this inward-looking discussion with themselves about what's the best way to do things. All too often it is framed that the introduction of cloud created a choice. Your cloud or your on-premises. That's not really the way you should think about it. The, the introduction of cloud, the use of cloud, gives us more choices about how we do things. So it's not all or nothing. It's just a reminder. I think the good thing about this article, look, it is creative. We're talking about it. There's, there's, there's a whole little sort of whole Twitter sphere by itself and the blogosphere talking about it. So from that perspective, it's achieved its aim of getting people talking. But the cloud versus on-premises is not a sensible, pragmatic debate. And it's not a forced choice. Um, and, and that's at the end of the day is the point. Look, we, we always, there's one other thing I wanted to, to bring out for this. If you, if you accept roughly my innovate, integrate, impact view of how IT has moved, at any point we try to optimize and do things. And by the way, Scott, this ties back to your point about um, is the data center that people might repatriate to the same as uh, it was a few years ago. I would flip that and say, is the cloud that people go to now the same as the one they might have... Uh, repatriated from or be thinking of going to a few years ago. But we try and think of things in different ways. And I'm going to check my notes because I wrote this down. But when we were in that innovate and integrate point of, of IT's development, we, we gradually realized it wasn't just about the stuff and the speeds and feeds and so on. And so we laid on SLAs, service level agreements. So we found a way to measure whether what we were doing were, was correct. And 
we've gone beyond that now. If we look at impacts, we're finding different ways to, I think there are two things going on. Measuring outcomes, which I've talked about before, focusing on outcomes, which allows you to think of the best way to do something, uh, because it allows all sorts of factors from data sovereignty, flexibility, importance to core competency and so on to come into that decision. And we're also laying on now both, you could argue this is the cloud, but also now on premises, the whole notion of as a service. And so as a service is really the uh, hybrid world's instantiation of what used to be SLAs, if you like, because now rather than having to generate that SLA for yourself, you are able to say what that is and work with vendor or vendors on premises or in the cloud hybrid to generate given outcomes. That's a stunningly impressive move for IT and for business and way more significant in my view than worrying about, you know, religious affiliations to doing things wholly one way or wholly another. One thing though that I was surprised, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of switch gears a little bit, was when I read the article, what I thought was really interesting when it ties, talks about software as a service companies running on the cloud in terms of valuation, I was surprised I didn't see anything in terms of just overall competitive risk is typically, you know, if you think about the big three, it's, you know, Google, Amazon, Microsoft. If I'm a software provider and I'm doing really well on those cloud providers, chances are I might be running on someone that's eventually a competitor one day. Um, and I was surprised that in, you know, I, th I think Andreessen Horowitz probably wanted to focus more on the, the numbers and the financials, which I think makes it a stronger argument. But I, that is, that, that's part of the story that, that I have not seen come up here, but it's something that if I was a software vendor, I would also have in the back of my mind, not to say I would do anything differently, but to just put a higher priority on the importance of flexibility. I was just trying to think as you were talking, there's there's a term that gets used for, I mean, I'm going to talk about Amazon because, you know, they're the biggest and, you know, Bezos gets talked about a lot and he's famous, but I think the word he used is um, the, the flywheel effect, I think, for what Amazon does as a business, you know, from books to Prime to movies to AWS. And, you know, the basic impact of flywheel is that, you know, it takes a bit to get going, but once it's going, oh my God, the sort of uh, black hole effect, um, you generate more business, which lowers your costs, which generates more business, which lowers your costs, which gets more people in and it just increases. So I think your point is absolutely valid. You're one of the few people that's focusing on actually the point of the article uh, because <laughs> well, it's generated this life of it's uh, totally separate from what they think they were originally writing about. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm crazy that way. But but I do, I, I do want to get back to, you know, I call this thing the, the bigger truth in tech because trying to focus on takeaways for IT leaders, IT decision makers, if you were going to boil it down to kind of that elevator pitch, what would you say is the, the one recommendation people should take away from, from this conversation and the article? Focus on outcomes, not shiny, you know, I'll call them shiny objects because it, you know, alliterative, but focus on outcomes, start there, not with any decision or C-level person saying, do more of this, don't do more of that. Um, focus on what you're trying to do for the business for IT, then figure out how you do it. The great news about today's hybrid world is you have an enormous range of options to choose from. That's great, but start with what you're trying to achieve for your business, not what you want to achieve so you can write about it in a blog. The focus is on software companies, but if you think about it, every company views itself as a software company or a digital company anymore. So it's understanding what the cost of infrastructure means to your business and think about, really think about the outcomes you want to achieve from that 
and always be focused on how do you optimize, how do you find the right decision? And you brought up religious dogma, which I think is actually a term that Andreessen Horowitz uses in this, is don't get tied down to religious dogma. Get flexibility because that's best for your business. I think with software companies, we see that in terms of there probably is a tipping point for most where they reach a certain level of scale and in order to get those economies of scale, it makes sense to build their own data centers. The other thing that just occurred to me as you're saying that is, again, you talked about it earlier, is, is making sure you're focused on, as far as all this discussion of how to do it goes, on the core competency of the business, because that's where that's probably the most important uh, leverage in terms of outcomes. Because, you know, I don't know, if you're a car company, um, you know, you're in manufacturing, it probably doesn't desperately matter. I mean, it makes your employees, but how you run the cafeteria, it's unlikely to be a core competency. And even if you could save a whole bunch of money by doing it differently, you know, it's not probably crucial to your business. Um, so the core competency is something we shouldn't forget in all this. So I think with software providers, there probably is that tipping point, right? Where you have to bring it back. But even think with the traditional enterprise, as we see, you know, more uh, a variety of different types of, of cloud solutions such as things like what Dell's doing with Apex or HP is doing with GreenLake, where you're bringing those type of capabilities on premises. I think what we're gonna start seeing or, or what's important is to always focus on flexibility and architecture, but also continue to look at how you optimize and keep costs low uh, while delivering on those key performance indicators and those key outcomes that you wanna go drive. At the end of the day, IT is such a huge part of modern business that it needs to be treated as, as a, massive expense and investment and something that you're always looking at how do you optimize and how do you get better you have in that position doing that you have myriad options and choices not just two options and one choice that's really you know the point i think well, Mark, I'm going to thank you for joining me today. This was a great conversation. You know, I knew this was going to be an interesting topic and I wanted to get your perspective on it. So thank you for that. Um, for those listening, that's all we have today. You know, for more insights and more discussions like that, uh, like this, please check us out at esg-global.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Scott underscore S-I-N. Great chatting with you and have a great day.